We're live. Nice to meet you too. This Jeff. is Geek Gab with your host, John, Brian, and me, Daddy Warp Pig. We are back. Wow. It is you February. Did it, <laughs> I know. I know. Say it. Go ahead. <laughs> we've, we've melted Daddy Warp Pig's brain. He botched the intro. Who's Brian? Ladies and gentlemen, Brian was our good friend, our former podcasting host, who is no longer with us as of uh, just before the new year. Um, and that was, well, I mean, in my defense, that was our introduction for like, what, two and a half years? Yeah. So, yeah, it was. Uh, He's still um, with us in our hearts. It is inscribed in my brain, that particular introduction. Um yeah, frankly, but, I'm surprised we made it a, a whole month without it happening. And I would also like to point out that we have gone the entire month, and I haven't once said 2017. Actually, you should listen to last week's show. Did I? No. Maybe. I don't believe you. I think you're lying. I mean, that's I could the... Be mistaken. <laughs> that's the one thing. I mean, you'd think, you know, we're starting a live show. I'd be worrying about technical problems, which happen... Uh, upon occasion, any of us who have been, any people who have been listening, you know that occasionally, occasionally technical problems show up. But um, in, you know, you'd be thinking that I would be worrying about technical problems or whether or not a guest is ready to go or whatever. But no, the one thing I'm thinking, the number one thought, chief in my mind when I start this show is get the year right. Get the year right. Um, so well, it, it is the least important part of, of everything. <laughs> um, we haven't done this for a while. We used to do this all the time. We haven't done this for a while. Did you do anything interesting this week? I did. Uh, I've had played some great board games, some great Dungeons and Dragons, and, uh, for the first time in like six months, I think had a great game night podcast, uh, with you. I think you were there for that. I, I might have been. I don't know. I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember if I got the year correct at the end of that <laughs> podcast. Did uh, you were telling me something about your Dungeons and Dragons game about um? Cause actually, I thought that was kind of an interesting anecdote about the thing that your characters, that your players hate the most out of everything they've run into in this dungeon. I don't recall. We talked about a lot of things that they, they hate. This was after the show, or it might have been yesterday. Um, the uh, the monster with character class levels. Yes, indeed. I didn't realize I hadn't said that on the show. You haven't. Uh, they they they've uh, they've got a, a a villain, and and he's just terrorizing them every week. Every week, it's it's a, a null rogue, not a null, a null like creature rogue who escaped because of the morale rules and, and everything, and and he escaped and and it, it's it's a beautiful result of the rules of, of using smart old school rules in a Dungeons and Dragons game. They don't fight to the death. Sometimes they run away, and if a guy keeps running away and maybe gains a few extra levels in rogue. And maybe trains a whole squad of nulls to also be level one rogues, who who happen to be part of wandering monster tables and ambush and gank the wizard every chance they get. 
uh, players tend to hate that, and and he's turned into a villain. So they were doing something smart with one of the rooms. Which and, oh you got yeah you got to jog my memory, man. They were doing something smart with one of the rooms, but because of the situation, they were kind of strung out. And one of the characters went to tie a rope around a door to keep it closed while they waited overnight, while they rested. Yeah, they were expecting an ambush, so they spread out and covered most of the corners. And one of the characters went to seal off one of the exits. Well, it just so happened that, you know, I'd, I'd figured that the, the, the wandering rogues were coming upon that exit. And uh, since, since they had the drop on this guy, I decided that they would open the door fill him full of arrows, and then close the door, uh, laughing like hyenas. And they all succeeded. <laughs> yeah. 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 One of them even, one of them even crit. It was, it was great. If it were anything, any edition besides D&D 5th edition, that would have been instant character death. I just think it's hilarious. You're standing there, you're about to you're about to secure the door. All of a sudden, it flies open. Four arrows right into you. You drop to the ground, bleeding out, and they run away. And the rest of the party is just like, "What the hell just happened?" That's that's a beautiful moment as a dungeon master. But um, I felt, speaking yeah. of which, our speaking of, speaking of Dungeons, Dungeons and Dragons, our uh, guest today, writer Adam Smith did a Dungeons & Dragons podcast for two full years, like a live play podcast. At least that's what I got from the discussion. Am I right, Adam? Uh, no, actually, it's a storytelling one. It teaches people how to tell stories in their D&D using all the different systems in the 5th edition. Hey, welcome to the show. That sounds pretty great. Well, thank you. Yeah, it was something that no one else was really doing, was just teaching people how to tell simple stories with the rule sets. So we would go through and we'd grab the backgrounds and then we'd make every single class paired with that background. My buddy and I'd go back and forth. So we'd end up with 22 different character, character concepts by the end of the show with each background. Um, so I think we did something like, I figured out it was 200, 250 characters over the life of the show. Well, wow, that's pretty, and that's really interesting because that's the opposite of the way I run my games. That I I can't I can't handle mentally. I can't handle that type of game. So I'm really interested to hear more about about what you did on that podcast. Yeah, definitely. We've uh, we did it for two years. I think we've got a hundred and something episodes up on iTunes and Google Play and all that. So be happy to bore you to death with that. Do you want me to do it now or later? <laughs> Well, let me ask you a question. Was that actually good practice for writing your own novel? Oh, tremendously, yeah. So we would um, we'd sit down, we'd grab like the soldier background, and then we'd say, okay, let's look at every single class, figure out how that would go through. And coming up with you know two hundred characters that really helped me get my uh, my juices flowing, as it were. So when I would sit down and say, man, I need a random bartender or some jerk to be in a tavern or whatever, when I'm writing a story, boom, I could just do it right on the spot because I've done it so many times. So um, your book just came out last week, right? Uh, I think so, yeah, last uh, Sunday. There was a big old blizzard. And why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Well, my story is called Making Peace. It began its life as a fantasy 
story. About halfway through, maybe two-thirds of the way through, it uh, turned into a sci-fi story. So it's a fantasy story on a sci-fi backdrop. Uh, the main character is a romance novelist who's heavy in debt. He goes to this off-the-grid, low-technology planet with swords and sorcery. He links up with a group of soldiers who are peacekeepers there, and they get involved in this multi-murder mystery going back and forth, trying to prevent a civil war on the planet. I'm waiting for John to ask a question because it's his turn. He's just <laughs> sitting there. He's not. What, what's the deal? <laughs> I, I, that that was a little that was a, you actually went really fast on that. Can can you go over the? Uh, I heard civil war, and then the rest of it is just. I apologize. <laughs> no, dude, you're all good. It's uh, it's a weird setup. So they're on this low technology planet. Um, it's a science fiction, but like I said, it's sword and sorcery, basically, is what this is. Um, so it's a low technology planet. A lot of magic. Uh, I tried to work the magic in, so it was, you know, nanotechnology and whatnot. I didn't want it to stick out or be weird. One thing I don't like about stories is when the magic is this huge, overwhelming piece of it, and it stands out every time it's used. So I tried to weave it in as more of a support role into the world. Um, the main character has a huge attitude problem that he begins the story with. Uh, he ends a little bit different in one direction or another. Trying to think. Anything that you'd like to know? Anything specific? Well, I, I, I like that you pointed out the magic system thing. Uh, mm. it, a lot of a lot of fantasy sword and sorcery books are going to make the story about that. I think famously the the Eye of the World. Was that the one? The Eye of the World, the uh, series by Robert Jordan. That was Wheel of Time. All about, you know, the Wheel of Time, yeah. The Eye of the World was the first book, I think. The The Wheel of Time series was all about the magic system. It, it, it had everything to do with what was going on in, in the world. You, you, you sort of couldn't separate it. Uh, so, so it's interesting that... that it, so does that mean that you're getting more about the characters and what they do, or...? Yes, exactly. I... um. Well, for a living, I'm a clinical psychotherapist, so I wanted to tell a story about these characters, but I also I work with a lot of people who have trauma. My specialty at work is trauma and PTSD, um, and a lot of people that I work with have no idea what that is. They've never seen it. They've never even seen it portrayed anywhere, so I wanted to kind of showcase that in a story without being preachy, without being message fiction. Um, I wanted to give people a chance to see what a panic attack might be like. So around that, I was going to have to build up a bunch of characters that were going to be more like regular people. So it's, it is much more maybe of an introspective novel in some places. Maybe some people won't like that. A lot of people have responded pretty well to it, but. So does it take the form of, uh, you know, a character maybe presents a sort of problem or, or, or difficulty in their lives and, you can show in the novel, here's a good way to help resolve that or overcome that or, or deal with it. Is, is that what you're doing with your background? Sort of. I, I didn't really want it to be like, here's how you overcome this problem as much. Um, the message and fixing it, a lot of it is getting involved with your community, getting involved with the people around you, making use of a social support network, um, opening up, being vulnerable to other people, solving your problems in that way. 
Um, so it's not as much like here's the basic steps you would take to overcome this issue as much. It's more of human beings need emotional intimacy. We need meaning. We need connection. We need a mission in life. If we have those things, then we can overcome just about anything. Writing a novel takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of time. You have to be, most people don't realize, unless they've actually tried to sit down and write a novel themselves, don't realize the time commitment involved. Um, what was it that drove you through the, all of that effort to get it done? Well, my novel took me almost exactly three years from start to finish. Um, the first, I want to say six months, was just listening to K.M. Wyland, her making author, helping authors helping writers become authors podcast, just listening and binging episodes so I could learn how it was, what I should be doing, and then learning an outline process, and then actually sitting down and kind of writing. During that time, I was working on my licensure at work <laughs> to get licensed. I had a kid, my first child ever, um, started a new job, then started a second new job. It was, an, it was a mess. Um, so yeah, it, it definitely was a trial. What got me through was just that I love storytelling so much. I knew that I had this story I wanted to tell people. More than that, though, maybe it was being connected in the author community, having a connection with other authors, seeing their success, seeing other people kind of encourage each other. That was a great help. Um, I don't think I would have made it through if I wasn't connected to other authors who were right there with you in the nitty gritty, who were involved in their storytelling. And you could see them living it out right there. So you have an example of success. Did you ever get involved in things like uh, National Novel Writing Month? Personally, no. I could see how it would be helpful for some people. I, I much prefer smaller communities that aren't focused on a month like that as much. It, it, that helps people, but I prefer small writers groups where the people are vetted pretty well so you don't have a lot of drama popping up. Um, there's a small religious group that I'm a part of, for example. Um, we do some writing, a couple different author accountability groups of just two or three people that just get on each other and just write each other. If they, you know, if you don't write this week, Hey, everyone's going to be laughing at you kind of thing. That, that seemed to help me a lot more than like NaNoWriMo. What was the most difficult thing about writing your novel? Oh boy. Hmm. Probably the negative people in the community that uh, worked to sort of trash my career a little bit. Um, that would probably be the hardest because that it robs you of some of those that wind in your sails. It makes things a little rough. Um, just some of those negative influences. That was probably the hardest part for me, to be honest with you. If you're talking um, actual process, hardest piece, that would probably... Hmm, Boy, that was a tough one. Probably just actually making myself sit down and create a disciplined schedule where I would sit down and actually do the writing. That was the hardest piece for me because there would be, I think there was a four to six month gap where I just stopped writing. I got so undisciplined, I just stopped. I had so much going on in my life. That probably set me back quite a bit. Um, I think once I established a good schedule on the weekends, found my time that I write well, it's in the morning for me. Um, set it up so I could write consistently for several hours. It just poured out like water at that point. And then I loved that schedule, so I'd stick to it. So if you were, um, if you were to, who are your biggest, like, influences, either positively or negatively, as far as your writing goes? Is there anybody who you looked up to that you thought, 
yeah, I want to have some of that in my writing. Nick Cole, by far. Um, I had I had a major disruption with one of my editors. Not editors, I'm sorry, the uh, first publisher for whom I was writing this book. We had a, shall we say, a very religious disagreement. Um, and it, it became known that I, it was let, I, I, was, I was informed, essentially, that I was no longer welcome in the company because of my religious views. Um, and at that time, I found that Nick was having much the same issue. So I contacted him, and he's just the most, the sweetest man you'd ever want. He's so supportive. So I, I do look up to Nick Cole. Um, as far as in the writing community, he's probably my number one hero that I really look up to. Um, Brian Nehemiah has been fantastic. I think he was on the show with you guys, right? Yes, he was. Yeah, we might have mentioned him earlier, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, was my, he was my editor. Um, fantastic guy to work with. Super professional. My book would not be even half as good as it is right now without a lot of the work that he put in. This is this is really great and heartening to hear that that we're putting together a community because it's not as if we it's not as if writers don't need that sort of support and professional context to work with and and hearing about troubles that you've had and Nicole have, have had and lots of other people with with the big the bigger publishers the more established publishers uh, it's good to know that that you guys have a way to sort of pull together and make make the books happen make the writing still happen. Uh, you know, despite the obstacles of the so-called gatekeepers. Yeah, you're definitely right. You know, I would have quit. I, I, I seriously think I would have quit writing when the rug got pulled out from under me. Um, I would have quit writing if I hadn't read an article online about Nick's struggle that he was going through. And then I reached out to him and he instantly emailed me right back. He was super supportive. I'm thinking, here's this guy. He's got already good success why the heck is he talking to nobody like me i i'm so far from even publishing a book but he was right there man he was willing to talk and engage and he's been a good support ever since i, I would have quit without that and then the rest of the writing community you know my buddy john de rose is one of them um there's a lot of really good authors out there that i've got to know um it's been fantastic it, it, i i would not be here and i would not have published this book if it were not for other authors quite frankly so if, if you were to list other fantasy novels um, that were like yours or reminiscent of your approach, what would they be? Oh, that's a tough one. You know, um, I, it was very influenced, some of the darker elements of it. I, I felt it was okay to go that direction, to tell those traumatic stories, because I read a lot of Mark Lawrence. I don't want to say that I'm as dark as him, but a lot of the content might be similar. Um, I love a lot of his work. Um, trying to think what else, you know what? A lot of the fantasy pieces, one, uh, one complaint that I did hear from someone, very few complaints. Um, but the one complaint I did hear was that some of my action scenes might be a little bit more anime style. I think that might come from reading some of the, the translated Japanese light novels that have come over. Um, is it, let me think, is it wrong to try to pick up girls in a dungeon is a series that I love. I think I'm on the eighth or ninth book right now, as far as light novels, um, so that might have influenced me a little bit. So there's that horrendous, dark, brutal fantasy, and then some of the more lighthearted pieces. So um, for, for those in the audience who don't know, what is a light novel? Light novels around 70,000 words. Um, Nick Cole and Jason Onspach, their Galaxy's Edge series, uh, very similar. Light novels tend to be a little more pulpy, a little bit more action-packed. 
It's just, it's in your face. It's shorter than the other ones. So it's a little more concise. You don't have as many maybe sideline stories or sidebars to it. It's, it's a little bit more concentrated and it's meant to just be read cover to cover. So it's, it's a short book. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And it's meant to usually complement a whole series. So you can pump them out a lot faster instead of a book every six months to a year, you can pump out a book every, you know, four months. So how long, how long is this book? This book, 108,000 words. Okay, so that's pretty pretty normal for a, a fantasy novel. Yep, right um, around there. Yep, They're tending towards shorter these days, but as far as the big publishers, that's what I was originally told to aim for is about 100,000. And um, are you planning on trying to... Um, your next novel, are you going to be shooting for that same length, or are you trying to shoot for something sh uh, shorter? I'm, I am going for shorter. Nick Cole and Jason Unspock had this great podcast. They teach you kind of how they succeeded with Galaxy's Edge. Um, so I'm kind of incorporating some of that. I've got six books planned out. Um, I'm working on a Neolithic fantasy novel. Um, it's a series of six books, 70,000 words each. It's going to be just action-packed. So I'm going to boil through that whole series fast. Action-packed, so Clan of the Cave Ninja? Kind of, yeah, basically. I've been playing a lot of Monster Hunter World. Um, I do like the original Clan of the Cave Bear and the Clan of the Cave Bear movie. Not so fond of the series as it went on. It kind of turned into a more adult, uh, shall we say, a, a adult bend um, that maybe wasn't as great. But the original was fantastic, so I'm kind of trying to combine that. Uh, per personal, totally uh, selfish question. Do you have, do you have your uh, new book in dead tree form? I definitely do. That was a big thing I wanted. Um, I love paperbacks. I love that feel. There's just nothing to replace that. And it is available on Amazon. I did it through Create Space. So. Oh, very good. Very good. And uh, do you know how many pages that comes in it? You know, I'm sorry. Off the top of my head, I don't. Um, I want to say 270-something, but off the top of my head, I do not know. Uh, by the way, folks, if you're interested in checking out the book, I've got a link to it in the description uh, below the video. So you can just click on that. It'll take you right to Amazon, and you can uh, you can give it a try. I was hoping you'd link to it because when you just type Adam Smith into Amazon, there is no way I'm ever <laughs> going to be at the top 10 pages of that. Do you have any thoughts on the Wealth of Nations? Uh, I think out of all the possible systems that we humans could come up with, I think that that one describes the best one. Unfettered capitalism that's guided by moral principles, and so you get tax favors for that. I think that's brilliant. If you can encourage people to want to do good things, great. You just lost all your communist readers, man. <laughs> hey, good. <laughs> good. They can't, they can't afford books anyway. <laughs> All right, we are uh, we are running down to the wire here. We've got about five minutes left. Um, do you have any so last words before we go? Last words before we go. Boy, I could give a bunch of shout-outs to really cool authors, like Rhett C. Bruno. He helped me with my launch. He was great. Um, last thoughts before I go. You know what? The thing that I learned from this book, writing this book more than anything else, is that we need to do things we're passionate about and you need to push your way through those passion projects because passion will only get you so far. If you're doing something you enjoy and you really want to do it, buckle down and discipline yourself, find a schedule, find a method and go through it and you'll actually do it and you'll have a sense of accomplishment when you're done. But passion is not enough. Um, 
Do you have any last thoughts before we take off? I've got a just a real quick question. You mentioned Monster Hunter World. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you doing Are you doing any kind of uh, tabletop RPG sort of gaming? What What kind of gaming oh. are you doing these days? I am yes. Um, so right now I'm involved in a fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons Adventures in Middle Earth campaign right now. I'm playing a uh, elf who from Mirkwood who is too cheerful for Mirkwood, so they've kicked him out as an ambassador to the dwarves. It's the worst punishment they could think of. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. I like that. <laughs> well, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to pick your brain sometime because you definitely you're you're one of those new type of D and D players who likes that sort of of story with a background for per character game, and so oh, I'm gonna yeah. have to definitely pick your brain one day on that because that's yeah. the opposite of how I play. I love that. I I pick the background first, and then I, the class just sort of falls in with the personality for me. That's definitely a good way to do it. Especially if it doesn't line up with your stats when you do 3d6 straight. <laughs> it's beautiful when that happens. You get this weird, complex character that's completely unlike anything else you've ever played. You just you make the min-maxers in the group twitch uncontrollably. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, they they look at me with this mixture of horror and disgust and pity, and it's a beautiful thing to see. <laughs> Good to hear it. All right, folks, um, we are going to take off today. We thank Adam Smith for coming on the show. Uh, this is Geek Gab. We're available on YouTube.com slash Geek Gab. We're also available on the iTunes Store. We're available on the Google Play Store. And we're available on SoundCloud.com. Just do a search for Geek Gab. We're here uh, generally about once a week, generally about this time. Um, thanks, everybody, who showed up in the chat. And I just want to let you know, folks, that... Uh, you don't have to worry because we're signing off for today, but we will be back.